0: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media.
3: From the center of the galaxy, this is the Force Center podcast feed, and this is another edition of Spotlight Star Wars. I'm Ken Absuck, your host for this monologue from one Star Wars fan to many. This week's episode, episode 36 in this run, is called The Ghost of Kenobi. Everything is true from a certain point of view, this Past week plus now. Rumors circulating again. There always seems to be since the uh 2012 rebirth of Star Wars, if you will, the sale to Lucas of uh, Lucasfilm to Disney, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Since then there's always been these rumors that pop up every so often about one character in the Star Wars universe that apparently a lot of people want to see more of. That character is Obi-Wan Kenobi, the crazy old wizard. Uh whether it be, oh, there's gonna be a standalone film, there's gonna be a new trilogy, uh, there's gonna be a new book, or he's gonna appear here, and then of course, oh wow, he actually uh appeared in episode seven, voice only, and you McGregor uh in, was in the film to do that, though James Arnold Taylor uh did originally uh, do the voice in um for episode seven and James Arnold Taylor does the voice in the Clone Wars. Um and even I guess technically rebels, you could say. So Kenobi is still talked about. He is a a very beloved character, and he's one of my favorite characters. I think when you first are introduced to the Star Wars universe, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is a very safe, grandfatherly, fatherly figure. He is the mentor in the hero's journey, and so we gravitate to him in that way. Many uh, gravitate to Gandalf the same way in The Lord of the Rings. So I've always grown up with a love for Kenobi, though I've never answered uh, the question of uh, what's my favorite character with Kenobi. Uh, and sometimes, i got to be honest, I don't know if I'd even put him in my top five. Simply because, simply because I I so kind of take him for granted as just this guiding light through the original trilogy uh, that uh, I overlook him. I'm being honest. If I'm being honest with myself, I'm being honest with you. I overlook Kenobi. You shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. Kenobi is key to the story, and if you go back to the prequels, he's key to those stories. It's a—it's uh, an easy argument to win if you say the best part of the prequels was Ewan McGregor or Ewan McDonald uh, doing uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, I think it was pitch perfect. I think, uh, like I said, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone to really argue that. Um, with a straight face, that Kenobi wasn't the, uh, the the one of the brightest spots, if not the brightest spot, other than maybe Duel of Fates and the Sonic Seismic Charges um, of the prequels. So it makes sense that there's there's this want and desire for more Kenobi. I have not read the series by uh, the author of uh, New Dawn, who uh, wrote. Um, Wrote. Uh, I'm trying to find the name of it here as I research on the fly. He wrote the uh, a, a Kenobi in the Desert story um, that is now non-canon. I've heard decent things about it, and I still might want to try it out. Um, there's a lot to mine there, I think, in the 18, 19 years in the desert that Kenobi spends – Marvel is doing it now a little bit in their main Star Wars line. If you haven't checked it out now, there's been a couple issues that uh, just throw to Kenobi. They they go back and and uh, Luke and Obi Wan's hut, uh, Obi Wan's Adobe uh, on Tatooine, are very key to that main Star Wars Marvel uh, line right now. A uh, lot of stuff, a lot of stuff happens there, and uh, I think it could tie into. Um, Maz canada, even a little bit uh the, i I totally am down with the theory that that Ray opened up that little uh little box there that might have been something uh, similar, if not the same thing that Kenobi had in New hope uh definitely harkens back to it if it's if it's not it itself um so Marvel's doing it, and they're they've done it very well the The two issues are two of my favorite in the Star Wars line, and part of me wants them to just dive in and do an entire series. I mean, Marvel's doing a lot of uh, series uh, in the Star Wars universe. Lando, Chewbacca, getting a Poe one, Kanan. We now got a side uh, series called Obi-Wan and Anakin that takes place kind of during the Clone War eras. Uh, And that one's starting strong. Um, So, you know, if if Marvel announced, hey, we're going to be doing Obi-Wan, the Man of the Desert, um, or the, you know, whatever you want to call it. I'd be on board, but I would be slightly disappointed, simply because I am one of the many people that absolutely wants to see you and McGregor get one more shot or three more shots, however you depend, uh, however you look at it, trilogy otherwise. I want you and McGregor to get that one more chance to play Obi-Wan Kenobi. He did it so well, and him aging in real life is to his advantage in these stories. And you don't have to set it immediately after the the uh, incidents in Revenge of the Sith. It doesn't have to be that. It, it you know that's I don't want to see Kenobi moving into his uh, Adobe. I don't want to see Kenobi shopping for furniture at Moss Eisley, uh, or uh, you know stopping by Jakku and picking up some stuff uh, from his old. Buddy Loris on I I don't want that. Get him there already on Tatooine. But there is definitely... A lot going on, and you would think, hey, it's, a, it's an old man, or a man becoming an old man, and fast. The aging process seems to be, um, well, on, on a rapid, accelerated pace if you're living on Tatooine. Good thing Luke got off um, uh, got off the planet, because uh, Uncle Owen, and Beru, and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, from the end of Revenge of the Sith to the beginning of New Hope just 18 years later, uh, wow, that was quite a change. Obviously, of course... Uh, Lucas didn't know the prequels were going to be made though I always, I did <sighs> Lucas himself, and this uh, this opens up a separate conversation about the prequels uh, not here to bash those, of course but but uh, it opens. It was Lucas himself that set these uh, you know 18 years before, and it makes sense that Sith would end with, to me the, the birth of, of Luke and Leia I have never had a problem with that so maybe cast up or age up the actors a little bit uh, I, I've always been uh a little, little curious about that. Joel Edgerton uh, is uh, playing Uncle Owen, and um, you know, you whether it be with makeup, I don't say actually get an older actor, but you know, when that movie ends, they're still young and spry, and uh, new hope begins. They are not. Um, I guess it's those twin sons. That is how you can justify it, and that is how I have always justified it in my mind. The like uh, uh, getting back on track. I think there's. I've always thought there's uh, something about that period of Kenobi, and I actually think they set it up well in Revenge of the Sith, uh, with Yoda saying, "Hey, I've got one more task uh, for you to learn. You're gonna have to learn to communicate with your old mentor, Qui-Gon Jinn," and that's interesting enough. Um, but the fact that um, Luke, Luke Skywalker, name not hidden. It wasn't like he was Luke Lars. Uh, Luke Skywalker is uh, kind of trolling around the sand there, on Tatooine. Obi Wan's watching him. I've always thought there's a lot to tell there—that it wasn't just Obi Wan sitting in the desert, um, having a death stick and learning to talk to Qui-Gon. There's adventures you could do. There's also the emotional toll, and maybe, uh, maybe it wouldn't be a better book than movie. I don't know, but the emotional toll and. And Obi-Wan waiting and biding his time and feeling like maybe he he was a failure and maybe he shouldn't even be a Jedi anymore. Maybe he wants to go find love. Maybe he doesn't believe in his mission anymore. There's 17, 18, 19 years of doubt and, and maybe finally acceptance. There's You can really dive into the emotions of that crazy old wizard. And uh, that would add some weight. And Alec Guinness did a... Sir Alec Guinness, excuse me, did a wonderful job, and of course, in New Hope, of when... Um, When you see, when we meet Obi-Wan, even at the time in 1977 when we did not know the stories and Lucas did not know the stories were going to be made and Lucas could not have envisioned that Marvel would have a comic series uh, that would touch upon it or there would be books and and, um, figures and all, Lucas could not have foreseen that. He could not have foreseen it as much as uh, we'd like to maybe think he could. Um, When you first see Sir Alec Guinness and you first see Obi-Wan, there's a weight there. And it is a weight uh, that comes across through the eyes of Kenobi. And I do like that thing that went uh, across the internet a couple weeks ago. I think so. Maybe a couple months now. Time flies. Of, uh, of uh, kind of that, uh, that, that, that cut of uh, Obi-Wan from New Hope. Uh, Luke asking about his father. And then it's interlaced and intercut with uh, some scenes from the prequels. Most, most notably Revenge of the Sith. Um, it, it actually works very well. It actually works very well. If you haven't watched it, go go look for it. It was a nice job by the people that did it. It it makes sense. Uh, you see the story behind Kenobi's eyes, and whether or not things were uh, you know changed, and Lucas changed his own canon a little bit. If you read the Return of the Jedi novel, famously, Kenobi uh, names Owen Lars as his brother. And uh, talks about the final fight with Vader, which did happen on a lava-like planet. Um, Yeah, Lucas changed some of his own canon, as we know with the prequels, but uh, it still works for me. There's a lot there. So these rumors of uh, Kenobi appearing in Episode 8 as a Force ghost in some capacity... Or, you know, maybe it's a flashback. I don't like the idea of flashback. We get that a lot. Uh, The rumors of Hayden Christensen appearing... As Darth Vader, oh, a flashback. Uh, when uh, Billy Lord was cast, Carrie Fisher's daughter, oh, she's going to be Princess Leia in a flashback. I, I'm glad they didn't do that. Um, Ray's vision, which was supposed to include maybe Vader and Luke uh, fighting on uh, Bespin. Um, that's, to me, not so much of a flashback as it is what it is, a vision. So I just don't see in the Star Wars universe, it's, it's out of place. Even on a series like Game of Thrones. Uh, which the book contains stories of the past, but not so much flashbacks, unless you count the heart trees. Um, but uh, to actually see it on the on the show, Season 5 starting with Cersei Lannister and a flashback to her youth and, and the prophecy from, from Maggie the Frog, uh, it seemed to me it was nicely done, but it still seemed almost out of place on the show. Flashbacks are, sometimes they fit, sometimes they don't. And I don't want any flashbacks in Star Wars. I just don't. If you're going to deal with Kenobi on any level on Tatooine, if you're going to talk about the, that time frame, uh, I want to see it. I don't want a flashback. I don't want Luke uh, training Ray and and rubbing his brow and his chin and and, and flashing back to some some scene. And uh, that would I would feel cheated. If you're going to do that, just give McGregor a solo film. A, 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 not a Han Solo film, you know what I mean. Obi-Wan, a, a standalone Obi-Wan film. I don't know if it's worth a trilogy, but a good standalone anthology film about Obi-Wan in the desert I think we can actually have. Uh, just think of all the fun casting rumors about young baby or toddler Luke. Um, but in Episode 8, I I would be very open to the idea of, of Ewan McGregor appearing in some capacity, most likely as a Force ghost, uh... Talking with, with, with Ray or Luke or something something during that training. Who knows? Maybe talking with Kylo Ren. We don't know. I'd be very open to it and actually makes me very excited. The vision that Ray had, which of course we now know included Yoda and even Alec Guinness. Sir Alec Guinness, uh, they messed around with his dialogue, so his voice is there. Ewan McGregor's voice is there. When I found that all out, and I didn't find that out till after I think the third viewing of Force Awakens, I was. Total over the over the top nerd chills. Excited, I love it. I just love it, and, and it goes again to uh, I'm a fan of Hugh McGregor and what he did uh, w- in the prequels, doing what he could, w- doing a lot with what he had, and uh, with that wig. Um, I think he did uh, did a great job, and uh, so I'm excited to see him still attached to it. And it was kind of cool. It's kind of quaint. Oh, he has a line, Ray. These are your first steps. Great, love it. But hearing that he might factor into eight in in some sort of capacity, maybe it's just one line or one scene. We don't know. These things change as production's going. I'm open to it. I don't find it weird. Do you find it weird out there? That's what I want to know. The Hayden Christensen stuff? Yeah, it might be weird. But then when we hear that uh, maybe maybe those rumors came about because of the talk of the the Ray vision, maybe he was supposed to appear in that vision in some capacity, That, that makes a little more sense. Hayden Christensen in eight in any kind of capacity. Um, you know, I, I don't have a problem with it. I I, I also, as time's gone on, I have less of an issue with Hayden in the prequels. Um, none of you should. He's an actor making choices and an actor working with a director. Famously not good with working with actors. Um, I would jump at the chance to be Anakin and so would you. But uh, see, the thought of, of Anakin in eight... Uh, is interesting, but for some reason, it's not grabbing me as as much as, um, as much as the idea of Obi Wan in eight, and maybe that sets up some kind of anthology film. I don't know. How do you out there want to see Obi Wan reintroduced into the Star Wars cinematic universe, or maybe you don't want that. Maybe you don't. Maybe you want to live and let live. And there's a part of me that understands that. With Force Awakens, with Force Awakens doing so well, and Force Awakens being done so well, in my mind, um, I am fine going forward. We've lost Solo. We have Leia. We're going to get Luke in a major way. We still have Chewie, 3PO, R2, uh, and a a cast of cameos from her past. I'm looking at you, Nina. I'm okay from this point on, in 8 and 9 and maybe 10, 11, 12, that we don't need a completely tie it back to the original trilogy by way of characters that we're familiar with. We're going to know the stories. Those can factor in. The past of this cinematic universe can certainly factor in. And if it makes sense, yeah, bring a character back. Uh, Maybe Luke stays alive till 12. I doubt it. But um, I I don't need, even an 8, I don't need, I'm I'm over the... Hey, look! There's Akbar. It has to make sense to me now, and I love seeing Akbar in episode seven. That was awesome. I love seeing Neenum. That was awesome. And if and if Wedge Antilles had made it in, Dennis Lawson hadn't turned him down, I, I would have been excited for that as well. Would have made sense. But going forward, I am okay with it. Kind of uh, what would they? Uh, what would they kind of move forward with the new characters? Move forward. Give us this new universe. to plan you've done a great job establishing. Ray. Uh, Kylo Ren, uh, to a lesser extent, Finn. I think there's a lot more development in Finn to come. I hope. Um, you, you've got all that. Hawks and Snow concluded. Uh, so give me that. Let me crawl around in that universe and don't rely on the past. And maybe that when I first heard about the Hayden Christensen rumor, when that kind of came out of uh, Hayden and Eight, um, that's what it seemed like to me. Like ah, just don't don't throw. You don't need to always throw back to the characters and people we know. Uh, I liked the use of Vader very sparingly in. Episode 7, and in, in, in a powerful fashion, but he was also sparingly. It wasn't like Kylo Ren, after every big moment of scene, went back to the uh, burnt helmet of, of uh, Lord Darth Vader and talked to him. We had that one moment, we had that one scene, and it made sense. So all that said, uh, I would understand if you thought, hey, no Obi-Wan and 8. I, though, am excited. I, though, find it very, very interesting, very, very intriguing. And then I still... I still want to know. I want to know about Kenobi in the desert. I want more. Marvel's doing a great job with it. Those two issues that are just focused on those are very, very good. Uh, They're little side missions. They're not the main quest of the game, but they're fun. They're good. Uh, The ghost of Kenobi hangs over all of us. That character is, is very much through every nook and cranny of Star Wars. And that's why I said you don't overlook Obi-Wan Kenobi when you're talking about your favorite Star Wars characters, like I do. Cause I love Kenobi. I love what Sir Alec Guinness did. I love what James Arnold Taylor does with Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Clone Wars. It's it's one of my favorite parts of that series. And even though I love that series, there's some stuff about it that that that's cringeworthy at times. I'm looking at you, Frog Officer. Uh, but. Obi-Wan Kenobi and the portrayal of Kenobi in the Clone Wars, uh, absolutely spot on and great. James Earl Taylor deserves all the credit for that. Um, and, of course, finally, Ewan McGregor in the prequels. Um, that that character, I think, again, I don't know. We all focus on the bad guys. Focus on Vader. Focus on who is Snoke? Who's, who's the Emperor? Sheev Palpatine? Okay, we know that story, but we still don't know a ton about Kenobi during that that. Period uh, uh, on Tatooine, and I think there's a lot to mine, and I hope Lucasfilm, Disney, and Kathleen Kennedy, and Ewan McGregor get the chance and move forward and mine that territory and that character and that space in the story a little bit more.
2: Hold up.
1: For 20% off your first system.
3: Moving on to uh, the hashtags. Uh, If you're new to the show in any way, shape, or form, and you've uh, listened this far, number one, I thank you. Two, uh, we like to have a conversation via the internet, via Twitter. You can follow me at CatNapsock, and you can follow this podcast feed at ForceCenterPod, P-O-D. And you can hashtag Spotlight Star Wars and join the conversation. So looking at some of the hashtags, uh, questions I've received since I last recorded, uh, I got some good ones here. You guys are doing good, and I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And uh, Trevor Timis, Timis Trevor, at Timis Trevor, asks a great question. He says, do you think Ray and Kylo will face off again in 8, or will they save that for a Vader-slash-Luke finale in 9? Um, hearkening back to uh, Jedi And will, will we have that kind of moment Between Rey and uh, Ren I, I, at this point uh, Looking at the story From an outsider's pr- perspective And not knowing much Yeah, I think that's it I referenced back my own pitch On movie fights in late December Where I pitched episode 8 I think you will see Rey and Ren Have some sort of interaction With lightsabers in episode 8 But it's not going to go well for Rey I think we can address that she, um, uh, though a very powerful force user, uh, a very uh, uh, raw, she's still very raw. I know she's got all these skills, and she can learn to control minds on the fly, and she's just coming into her powers. And, and um, she defeats Ray. or excuse me, defeats Ren. Uh, yeah, he had a he had a Chewbacca bowcaster bolt in his side, and uh, took a hit from Finn, and and his emotions were going wild, and he was down all those in the fight. But Ray did win, and I give her that credit. But I think, I think, I'd be okay with the story in eight addressing that that was maybe a little bit of beginner's luck, that maybe those things did factor in with Kylo Ren's defeat at the hands of Ray. In the, in the snowy forest on Star Killer Base. Um, so I think they fight again. And I think Kyla will, will be stronger. And I think this is an age. And I, I see Ray having a setback. I think she needs a setback. I wouldn't like, as much as I love the Ray character, as much as I think it was a great moment for women in film, and how I uh, love to see uh, young girls. We're talking four, five, six, ten, twelve, teenagers, doesn't matter. I love to see them gravitating to Rey as a Star Wars female character outside of Leia, finally, that, uh, that is all the things that they're looking for. I actually think that's great, and I think I uh, still hold to the fact that Rey is one of my favorite Star Wars characters and was executed perfectly. Perfectly, I say. Um... In Force Awakens. Um, I think that character has to step back though. I think that there has to be a little bit of a trip up moment. Now she's learning. Now she's learning. It's like Luke and Empire. Great shot kid. Now don't get cocky. You blew up the Death Star. You saved the princess. You got a medal. You got a cool brown jacket now. You don't live on Tatooine anymore. Though you had to lose your aunt and uncle. Um, Things are good for you huh Luke? Well guess what? You You still got to go... And learn a little more and, and have to have some setbacks. That's what Empire was all about. And I think Ray will experience that in eight. And then I think, yes, the way it's going, unless there's some sort of swerve or switcheroo in episode nine, we get the finale we're looking for. We get the tiebreaker match. Ray and Ren going at it again. But who knows? The story may change in eight dramatically. I think they're going to do some interesting things. Uh, but great question, Trevor. Uh, we got uh, Big B. At Big B underscore seventy eight checking in. How you doing, Big? And he has a two part spotlight Star Wars question. He says, uh, or a statement more than anything, but he says Han knows who Ray is. C in parentheses. Uh, his look when in the Falcon. Ray says, I never knew there was so much green in the galaxy. He continues. Also, C when Maz asks who's the girl. An Immediate cut. Um, but now we have no Han, and and will these moments ever pay off? Is is kind of the question. You know, Big, I I, I think I think it will. And a lot of people go to that moment, including uh, Christian Harloff and and uh, uh, a new friend of mine I just met, and I'm going to reference uh, here in a bit. Uh, that scene uh, that uh, that you're referencing, uh, Han looking over, uh, kind of with a guilty look, uh, when Ray says, "I've never seen, uh, I never knew there was this much green in the galaxy," and, and Chewie even kind of has a moment where he looks over. I think it's a key scene, big, and we could be as fans because we love to do this. We could very much be reading in way too much to a, a, a little moment in time. It could very well be that we don't know what we're talking about or that we're just like looking at that little speck and making it into a mountain. Um, but I, I think, Big, enough of us are seeing this. Uh, you, you're not wrong. There seems to be a little moment, and I hope it pays off. The legacy and story of Ray seems to hinge on a lot of things we've yet to understand or yet to see. Uh, Or when we get a chance to, we'll look back and go, ah, it was all there. And the fact that Maz does say, now, all right, enough about this Finn guy. Who's the girl? There's something about this girl, Han. And then you don't get to really see Han's response. And then uh, Maz references, oh, yeah, Han told me. He told me all about you. And it makes sense that Luke's lightsaber would call to you. I think absolutely that is... um, I think absolutely that is a uh, a key and important uh, moment. Will it pay off? That... That is the million-dollar question. We'll find out. Thanks for the uh, question at Big B underscore 78. Michael Conradical at Boredom underscore ensues. Checking in again. Hey, Michael. He uh, yes, asked, do you think we'll see more exotic lightsaber colors in uh, future movies? i like to see a yellow saber myself. Uh, I talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, I like that dark saber, the all-black saber that the, uh, uh, appears in Clone Wars and Death, Death Watch has it. Um, I don't know. I'm not opposed to it. I have a lightsaber wall sconce hanging in my room, and it's got a lot of great colors, including yellow, Michael. That's a good question, and it's a good color. Does it always have to be blue, red, green, Mace Windu's purple? No. I'm okay with it kind of uh, exploding out in different colors in different scenes. It's just this is a new era. There's, um, There's still not many Jedis around, even though Luke seemingly tried. To get it going, um, but we've seen with Kylo Ren him building his own, own lightsaber, poorly, but still kind of cool. Uh, maybe someone else does it. Maybe some of those people that Luke was trying to train, or maybe some of the other Knights of Ren who may or may not be fallen Jedi uh, students. Uh, maybe there's someone. Uh, hey, man, I'm bored with blue and green and red. I'm making myself a yellow lightsaber. I could see that, and if it makes sense in the story, I could totally get behind it. And that's what it comes down to for me, is does these, thing, does these things and do these things make sense within the Star Wars universe that's already established? I sometimes bristle when I see in the comics or some of these stories, as you all know, the new canon, the new expanded universe, when it's like, oh, it's a Mon Calamari cyborg fighting Darth Vader. I I, I know it's still science fiction to a lot of people, but I, I, to, to me it doesn't make sense as much in the Star Wars universe that's already been established. Um, I'm not afraid to see things go in different directions, um, but a cyborg Mon Calamari with a yellow lightsaber might not be something I'm interested in in that kind of package. But a a yellow lightsaber, or just a different color lightsaber of its own by a character where the story makes sense. Again, going back to Kylo Ren's Blade when that first appeared and and the nation – because we have uh, no other important things to worry about – the nation of nerds debated that lightsaber. Um, the broadsword uh, of Kylo Ren. Um, I thought it just looked damn cool. <laughs> I didn't care if it didn't make sense. Uh, later on, I think it made sense. And we get that as a somewhat poorly constructed lightsaber by a wannabe, someone trying to be something he's not. And it, it all makes sense to me now. But going back to it, that first shot in the first teaser, and the lightsaber comes out, the dark side. shh. I went, cool! Wow! Just like that. Wow! That's how I sounded. By myself, probably, when I was watching it in my room. Wow! Um, so yeah, give me a li- yellow lightsaber, Michael. I'd be okay with it. I'd be okay with it. Patrick Barman checks in again. He says, Ken, what is your favorite of the crazier, more out-there fan theories about Episode 7? There's a lot, isn't there? There is a lot, and I, I kind of love them all. I love that we get to do this. It wasn't that Star Wars didn't have its own myth and mythology to kind of roam around in and kind of read into. If you're a Star Wars fan of any... uh Uh, Higher level, uh, not, 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 don't mean that in terms of uh, smug knowledge. I mean, but if you've, you you dig in a little bit deeper than other fans, you have your own theories and you can dig in just like Big did with uh, that scene. And a lot of people are looking at that scene of Force Awakens and saying, hey, that, that look Han gives means something. Um, um, I, I love hearing all the theories, um, but none are more interesting and crazier than, of course, uh, Ray's legacy and lineage, and parentage. And I'm going to have this guy on one of my shows at some point, but I met a guy over at the comedy store named Kevin recently, and i this is his theory, and maybe others have had it, but his theory, I don't even want to go into it, but I believe it. His theory, in short, is that we all know, they all know, meaning they in the universe, who Snoke is. Whether or not it's Plagueis or not still could be determined. Maybe it's a Plagueis-like character. But his theory is that Snoke and Skywalker, at one point fought, which is why Snoke has the damage, and why he's so fixate fixated on Skywalker and having to get rid of him beyond just him being the last Jedi. They're all very well aware who uh, Ren is, of course. Uh, and and Ray, they're not it's not that they're know who Ray is, is they know who maybe Ray is. Was And then uh, my new friend Kevin, uh, Kevin Ross, asks, he says, you're all asking the wrong question. Who's her parents? Who's that? He goes, this, this story is always about the Skywalker family. And what is the Skywalker family secret, he asks me. This is all last week he presented to me uh, at the patio at the comedy store. And I'm going to cut it down. I, uh, maybe he can explain it himself one day on this show or another show. But... um His theory basically is is that 20 years ago, Princess Leia found herself quite suddenly pregnant. It wasn't Han's, and there was no other other man, alien or otherwise, involved in the scene. It was a forced birth, and Han couldn't accept it. His 10-year-old son, Ren, or at the time, Ben, couldn't accept it. No one believed Leia. that She suddenly was with child, miraculously. Child was born, and it was a child born of the Force. The Force created Rey to balance the Force creating Anakin. The Force is, of course, a living, breathing thing, as we're taught in Empire Strikes Back. So it would make sense that... If the Force birthed Anakin, whether or not it was influenced by Palpatine or Plagueis or maybe Snoke back then, it would make sense that the Force would maybe kind of feel bad about that and felt, felt like it had to do something about that. And it then brought Ray into the world. Maybe Ray was called something else at the time. Maybe Ray was, was uh, you know, Obi. I don't know. So it tears apart the marriage. In the meantime... Ren, Ben, is off training with Uncle Luke. And Snoke gets in there. Because Snoke, if it is Plagueis, or if it is a Plagueis-like character, Kevin's theory continues, that Snoke has been taking, curating, Force-sensitive Jedi children, or just Force-sensitive children, I should say, and taking the top, like, 1%, and basically plugging into them and draining their life force and their force, literally, to keep himself alive. If it is Plagueis again, Plagueis has been through all this. And, and, and in the novel, the character of Snoke in Force Awakens mentions, uh, and, it's, and it's alluded to, that he's seen this all happen. He's been around for a while. So, Snoke becomes close with Ben. And sees him as most, most Sith or dark force users uh, as an apprentice or someone to do something with. And Wren, um, now at the New Jedi Academy with uh, a 20 years of age, maybe by now, and a younger, maybe so maybe Wren's 15, 16, and he's got like a four or five-year-old little sister that no one really likes to talk about, and she's kicking ass at that academy and Ren's not liking it i'll call him wren because i keep forgetting to call him ben Ren is not liking it he's not liking it luke Luke is teaching patience and luke is teaching all the great virtues of, uh, of the jedi way and, and ben solo is not liking it and snoke is now in his ear snoke has emerged and he's now in his ear and this little girl is just the prized student the prized pupil a midi-chlorian count Higher than all others, and Kevin goes on to explain. And I'd love to have him here in detail to do it on a Force Center on a Spotlight Star Wars. That if a Sith user had talked about midi-chlorians in the prequels, as opposed to Qui-Gon and the Jedi, we might have all accepted it a little better. And it's a uh, when you hear it, yeah, you kind of agree in some way. It makes sense if the Sith had uh, talked about uh, the science of the Force a little bit more, we might have accepted it. But the science it exists, whether or not we like the term midi-chlorian or not, it exists. And Ray is off the charts. And Ben Solo's getting jealous. And Ben Solo wants to be the top dog. But in a way, I don't mention this insensitively, and, and nor did uh, my friend Kevin with his theory. Ren, Ben, as he becomes Ren, it's kind of like a school shooter situation. I have to say it in that, that way, and I don't mean to be insensitive about that. But it's kind of the, he he can't take it. He's no longer, he's not the more, most popular kid in school. He is, he is that kind of trench coat wearing kid. And so the Knights of Ren are those who are like him. They're not the jocks of the academy. They're not the popular ones. They're not the cheerleaders. The Knights of Ren are the rejects, the ones on the social fringes of Luke's new academy. Ones easy, for, who, 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 it's easier for them to be seduced by the dark side of the force. So they become the Knights of Ren and they commit a massacre in the academy. And Ray is there. But Ray is saved. Snoke and Luke maybe get into a fight. And that's where Snoke maybe gets hurt. In Kevin's theory, as he goes on to say, is that the ones who dropped Ray off on Jakku were Han Solo, we assume Chewbacca, and Lando Calrissian. That they're the ones flying away. Which is why... Han, would have and Chewy a little bit of a guilty look on their face, when Ray herself says, "I, I, I would n- I never knew the galaxy, was, this green." So I was told this on a patio, the comedy store patio last week, and I'm telling you, I think it's it. Yeah, there could be little holes to plug in here. Every theory does have that. Uh, Ray was dropped off with Unkar Plot, and Han kind of seems to not know who that is when he recovers the Falcon. But Han could be Kay a uh, wrestling term for keeping up the illusion. Um, it all works for me, and on a simpler level, you can toss the other stuff out, the Academy stuff, or whatever you see. Um, it just kind of makes sense. It also makes sense that Han, uh, um, Han, as Kevin described him to me in explaining this theory, um, Han is a muggle. So when Leia is suddenly pregnant with a, with a force birth, and his son is, is a powerful Jedi in training, perhaps starting to go bad, and there's this young girl, now Leia's then Han has, has, just has trouble accepting he's not a Force user in this family. He's not a Skywalker. He's a Solo. He's not related by blood, by actual blood to Anakin Skywalker. He, he is a muggle. The marriage falls apart. The relationship falls apart. He leaves, which, of course, factors into Ben becoming Kylo Ren because the strong father figure out of the picture the very thing Leia was trying to say to Han in episode 7. Luke is a Jedi. You're his father. You have to go do this. But Han at that time, around uh, Ray's uh, fourth, fifth, sixth year of life, he couldn't accept it. He couldn't accept it. Probably couldn't accept it at the time of the birth. And then when things got serious... Snoke and Luke fight maybe, the Knights of Ren appear, destroy the Academy, and the dream of a new generation of Jedi is, is lost. They all agree they have to do what's best and they have to get Rey out of here. And it was the Force saying, it's time. It was the Force calling to Rey. It was, as Joseph Scrimshaw has always said, and I've bought into, Episode 7 is about. The Force Awakening. title means something, right? So I believe it was the Force Awakening going, It is time I tried. I gave you all this child to balance the evil that I, the Force, brought into this world with the help of some Dark Force users. It is now time. The true balance to the Force may still yet to be discovered, and it may be because of this girl. We'll see, right? We'll see. Again, that, Patrick, is my favorite of the crazier and more out there fan theories. Um, uh, this guy, Kevin, I met last week at the Comedy Store. Uh, it, it, Fascinating. I loved it. I drank it all in. I only hope I did it a little bit of justice. Uh, on that note, I think we're going to wrap up. There's a couple other questions. Um, do we think we'll see Snoke a lot in Episode Eight? Trevor T- Timms asked that one. I, I think yes. Uh, Imperial Podcasting, Patrick Barbman's Star Wars podcast feed. Uh, if you could take anyone from the old Expanded uver- Universe and make them canon, besides Thrawn, who would you choose? Some version of Mara Jade. Which, if you saw my movie fights pitch for Episode Eight, I think I think that could be something we see in Eight a version of Mara Jade, a version of someone else in Luke's life. If, in fact, Rey is Luke's daughter. But I'm starting to believe the theory that Rey is the daughter of the Force. So that has been Spotlight Star Wars for this week. We went deep and longer than I thought I would into uh, the theories of Rey, but we also talked about the ghost of Kenobi and Obi-Wan Kenobi. So don't forget to tell me how would you want to see Obi Wan Kenobi brought back into the Star Wars cinematic universe. Um, go ahead, tell me that. You can follow me at Kenapsok. You can follow this podcast feed at Force Center Pod. You can hashtag Spotlight Star Wars to join the conversation. We will be back. There will be more episodes of Force Center coming. Uh, more episodes of Databank Brawl, Jedi Beat and maybe some other things in, uh, on this Star Wars feed we are having a lot of fun, stay tuned, subscribe rate and review, get us on Podomatic, you can find us on iTunes as I said um, and it, uh, where you can find us uh, could be growing soon, so that is all until next time, may that force thing kind of sort of always remain around you